Please take God's Word and turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, please. This will be the primary text for our sermon today. I will continue to trek through um, what we've set out to do um, over the course of just a couple of months um, to emphasize, I think there's some important things concerning the teaching um, of the Scriptures concerning the church. And I hope that God has been helping you uh, with that. Um, in our day, we need to know um, more than ever. Of course, we always need to know, but it seems that the Lord brings certain things in our lives um, through His providence for particular reasons, and it um, revives or renews a sense of uh, need for certain truths. There are truths all throughout your life that you will inevitably forget. Um, and that's why the scriptures over and over again, particularly in the New Testament, the apostles are reminding and reminding and reminding, um, calling you to remembrance on certain things because even though we know we have, we have forgotten, um, these truths that lie before us um, have an eternal weight of glory that comes with them and offer to us um, particular strengths in the Christian life as it pertains to life and godliness. Um, it seems in this day and hour there's some things that we need to be reminded of and some things that we need to know um, concerning the church in a, in a day and an hour in which the church has uh, been forgotten in a day and an hour when the church has um, been lost in man-centeredness and man-made methods and um, just being constructed um, in various areas and maybe even in this church in some ways. Um, as we construct our own kingdom, um, we're reminded day in and day out that the Lord Jesus, we're reminded week after week that the Lord Jesus died uh, for a particular people. He sa died to save uh, men, women, and children out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and he constitutes uh, within this uh, church age something that he refers to as the church. Um, thus, the truths that come with that um, of who we are will determine uh, um, concerning what we do. Um, so we give ourselves over to that this morning. I'm, I'm eager to get back into the book of Mark. Uh, probably by the end of next month. But until then, I pray that you'll give your attention to some of these things and that the Lord would renew and revive a sense of necessity um, of the essential nature of the church and for us to understand who we are in Christ and for us to stand, understand who we are in relationship one to another because uh, without a doubt, you and I um, have great questions today concerning um, who we are and what we are to do in this age. And I hope to help you with that this morning. And some of it may seem redundant. Um, and some of it may, uh, because of the nature of the discussion today, or the, the, the topic, the preaching today, the text. It seems like this is something that we should have discussed in the beginning. Um, as we went to every single text, we have presupposed certain things. And that that is, is what we have before us is the Word of God. And that it determines for us um, who we are and what we are to do. We don't have that privilege. We are called to submit to God's word and here we find probably the most explicit and extent uh, treatment of what the scripture is. So let us give our attention for a few moments to the word of God. If you will, we'll stand for the reading of God's word out of reverence for it. And we'll begin our reading In verse number 10, to gain a little context, Paul writes to Timothy through the power of the Spirit of God, and he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, 
persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from, the childhood, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, or equipped for every good work. And then chapter 4 and verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to behold our God. Father, what a privilege it is to be able to take your name upon our lips. Father, the name that the angels um, have been praising and has been upon their lips for as long as you've created them. Father, by grace, you've extended to us such an immeasurable glory in Christ that we could even come before the throne of God today. Father, we ask you to do the unthinkable today. It's unthinkable in our minds, but we read Romans chapter number 8, and we find, if you freely gave us your Son, how shall you not freely give us all things? God, in that um, today we come to you as needy people out of the world who needs a word from God. Father, we know that your salvation was enough and, and that the gospel, Father, will carry us on even to glory. We will finally and fully be saved, and there's a great hope in that. Um, but, Father, we are fragile and feeble and just weak-minded people who constantly need to be reminded of the grace that you've extended to us in Christ. Uh, so, Father, we just ask and beg you to do that once again today. God, the week is coming. It's going to be hard. Father, the, um, the culture and uh, a hundred other things, Father, just seem to be um, chaotic all around us. There's turmoil, Father. There's many days that we don't know what to do. So we throw ourselves upon you, Father, and cast ourselves at your feet and just ask you, Lord, to meet us in the word this morning. Father, that, you would, um, that we would in some sense behold our God um, as we come to the text and that you, Father, would give us this day our daily bread, that you would uh, lay the table bare before us, Father, and that we would be hungering and thirsting after righteousness such that we would partake of the glories of the truth of God's word this morning. Father, help us have and find some comfort and rest in Christ today, Father, and some strength of the week. So, God, we ask you to do these things because we know that we cannot in and of ourselves. So, Father, we, um, uh, we commend ourselves to you now to ask you to do an eternal work in our hearts and souls, Father, above and beyond what you have in time and reality already accomplished. 
We ask you, Lord, to make us more like your son this morning. God, we ask you to take the word of God to the depths of those who may not know Christ this morning and then make that eternal reality um, a reality in their heart. God, we ask you to save sinners this morning, Father, and to continue to sanctify saints and make us more like Jesus Christ. So God, help us to be faithful now as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. What we have before us is a phenomenal text. I mean, it's a text that's guided the church throughout 2,000 years of church history. I mean, it's reminded us of what's important. It's reminded us of that objective reference of, of, um, of, of God um, for our Christian life. Um, as Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, if you're familiar with the New Testament, if you're familiar with uh, particularly the epistles of the Apostle, um, Paul writes to various people and churches all throughout um, Asia and possibly even to the Jews. Particularly, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. If you remember, Acts is divided into pretty much two parts, the uh, ministry of the apostle Peter um, to the Jews, and then most of it is just um, in, encompassed in the ministry of the apostle to the Gentiles. Along the way, the apostle um, not only preaches the gospel to the lost and establishes churches by the glory of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, um, but within those, the context of those local churches, he often meets men. Uh, much of the life of the Apostle Paul is not um, in the pomp and circumstance of, of, of being uh, you know, uh, the pope of the church or, or this or that. Um, he, he gloried in his weakness. Um, and he was not afraid of the task of giving himself over to singular or particular men, particular men along his way. He wasn't leading large churches in such a fashion that he just needed to give himself over to um, public preaching once a week and he allowed other elders to engage in the hard work of, of leading men day in and day out in the discipleship of, of young believers. Now what you find is that all throughout his ministry, generally he's got another man with him. Um, you'll find that Luke is with him often in the book of Acts. You'll find that Titus is often with him in the book of Acts. Um, and you'll find that Timothy is one of those men in whom the apostle sees himself as a father in the faith and that young Timothy is a son. And we have two letters particularly given to the, um, to, to the, to the pastor, the elder, this young man, um, Timothy. And what we have here is his last word to him. Um, and in some sense, it's his last word to us. As far as we know, this is the last letter that the apostle is going to write before he gives up the ghost. Um, as a martyr for the kingdom of Christ and just for the glory um, of God. And a few things in particular he writes to Timothy. He begins as he always does. And First Timothy as well um, has kind of the same temperament to it. Uh, Timothy is a young man in the faith. He's a, he's a pastor, an elder probably of the church of Ephesus. And he's given himself over to the work of ministry. So Paul writes to exhort him, to warn him, but also to encourage him. Why? Because his natural constitution seems to be a man that's timid. Uh, it seems to be a man that is afraid. He lacks confidence. So the apostle encourages him. Um, he encourages him in a time and in a, in a, in a, in a place that is, is hard. You know, Ephesus, if you want to talk about godlessness, I know we look around at America and we look at our culture and we think, man, this is one of the most godless places in all of human history. Um, but if you were to visit the New Testament time and you were to see some of the Greek and Roman cities uh, that surrounded the area, particularly in Ephesus, um, you would find probably one of the most godless cultures um, throughout known human history. The things that they did within 
the temple of the, of the goddess Diana are, are things that um, should make you and I blush. Shouldn't be spoken of within a mixed context um, as they worshipped pagan gods and they, they offered sacrifice uh, within the temple that um, was, a, was of an immoral sense. Um, and totally abandoned the reality that God had extended to them through the grace of, of creation. They knew who the triune God was and his, uh, the fullness of the Godhead uh, bodily. They looked out into creation and they saw this, this d- divine being who created all the world. And they rejected him and they made idols and they worshipped the creature more than the creator. Thus it, it uh, provoked them into all forms of ungodliness as they pursued themselves and they pursued in themselves the lust of their own flesh. Um, it's in this context that this young man has been left um, to pastor the flock of God within the church and the reality of God. He's to be an evangelist. He's to be a pastor. He's to be a, a preacher. And there's a great warning in chapter number 3 particularly. Um, as he's reminded that he's in the last days, and those last days would be characterized by a particular mindset. He says in uh, verse number 1 of chapter 3, But know this, um, I know I just encouraged you and I know I just built you up and I'm building you up for something because there's a crescendo coming within your culture and probably within every culture that abandons God. Thus it's true for us even in this day that there will be a time, peerless times are coming. Verse number two, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud uh, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, you think, man, those are some some rank atheists. But then you get to verse number uh, five and you say that he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those that creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres uh, resisted Moses, so do also these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. So, Timothy, I'm encouraging you to be confident. Why? Because there's an age that's not only present, but an age that is coming even in the life and ministry of your church. And you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. Um, You need to know what you're up against. You need to be watchful. You need to be vigilant. You need to be diligent. Um, and you need to have confidence. Um, and there's some things that you need to do that. Um, there's some things that I want to leave you with and encourage you with, um, with the ministry such that if you're going to carry on, you're going to need to know a few things. Um, and maybe that can comport in today's well, today as well. As we approach this text... You may be reading that and you're thinking as you transport a mindset of American culture and even uh, something that is pervading and invading our area here in, in the Deep South um, or the Bible Belt or the last stand as some would call it, you know, um, the buckle. You look around and you see in chapter 3 these very things. And you don't only find it in the, in the blue camp, but you also find it in the red camp. You find it pervading um, our culture. You find it even within the context of the church. You find men and women with a form of godliness, not totally atheistic and not uh, necessarily worshiping Satan, but you find it 
um, just, just this, this uh, veneer of religion um, where they have this form, this outward external appearance that even looks somewhat godly, yet they deny the power thereof. They deny the Spirit. They deny, he says, the truth. That's going to be his issue. Um, that, that, that these things are, are overly evident and pervading the culture and maybe even your churches and your families. Um, why? Because that's what happens when you resist the truth is what he says in verse number 8. There's going to be people who come in and they're going to lead uh, women captive and they're going to seek to do so just as Janus and Jambres did with Moses. Why? Because as Moses stands and he proclaims the law of God and, and the desire of God and the will of God, you're going to have men that come up and they resist the truth. Um, and they resist it in, in, a, in a whole facet full of ways. It's not, it's not monolithic. They're not just denying it. They have a form of godliness and they are going to argue uh, for certain things. They are ever learning yet never coming to the knowledge of the truth though. They will not progress any further. Their folly will be manifest. If not now, it will be manifest to all. And the same goes for us, us today. So, so Timothy, as he's pastoring this church, is looking around and he's seeing a degradation and a decline of morality all around him, a form of godliness in which no doubt he's frustrated with. And uh, maybe he's asking the question and even questioning certain things, thus lacking confidence to proclaim the Word of God. So all throughout Paul's word to Timothy, he's reminding him of those things. Uh, chapter 1, verse number 13, um, what am I supposed to do? He's, he tells him, you're to hold fast the pattern of sound words, Timothy which you have heard from me. Uh, chapter 2 and verse number 2, um, he encourages him with the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse number 9 of chapter 2, he says, uh, or verse number 8, let's start there. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer as an evildoer, even to the point I'm in change. But I love this phrase. Maybe this is where Luther got it from um, as he stands before the Diet of Worm. He says, but the Word of God is not chained. It is not bound. It is not in slavery. Thus, he paints a bleak picture of the culture all around him and what will happen as they resist the truth. And in verse number 10 of chapter 3, he says, but you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine." Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions... Verse number 12, yes, and all who desire um, to be godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, Timothy, you, as you pastor and elder the church, uh, as, you, as you lead it um, by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, um, you have to do it according to the things that you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from a childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul, I don't know what to do. It's falling apart. It's going uh, down a road that I can't stop it. What, what, what am I as a pastor to do? I ask that question. I ask that question in the culture we're living in. You look at me and you ask the question, like, what are we to do? And you see a uh, pervasive uh, mentality of a lack of uh, an abandonment of Im immorality, peerless times, lovers of money, boasters, this or that. Like, what are we to do in this day as a church? We are to continue in the things that we have learned. 
We are to hold fast the form of, and, sound, uh, and pattern of sound words. We are to uphold the Word of God. We are to continue steadfastly in the things that we know and have been assured of um, according to, to God's Word. Timothy, this is what you're to do. You are to, you are to, 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 to give your life and ministry over to the things that you know. The things that you have known since you were a child. The things that are ever before us. In some sense, turn to the Word of God. Thus we'll give our endeavor this morning to particularly verses 14 through 17 and verses 1 through 5. Um, Paul is instructing Timothy prior to his exit. This is similar to Peter's. Um, exhortation in Second Peter in chapter number 1. You find almost the exact same temperament um, with the Apostle Peter. Um, the Apostle Peter is writing to saints that are scattered abroad. Um, saints that are the elect according to God. They're being persecuted. They're under great persecution. You read that in uh, chapter 1. The same audience he's writing or in, in, in his first epistle. The same audience he's writing to in the second epistle. And there's saints that are out there. They're struggling. They're wanting to know what to do. And what does Peter do in chapter number 1? But he points them uh, to the Word of God. Um, this is where we find that paramount other, that, that, that probably equal parallel paramount passage on the inspiration of God's Word and the authority of it in uh, chapter 1 and verse number 20. You write these, or verse number 19, you, write, you read these words. And so we have this, the, prophetic, the prophetic word confirmed, Peter, and, and 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That Peter writes to you as he writes to the saints and he writes to me to encourage us to hold fast. Why? Because he knew that there was a day when he would have to go. Um, verse number 12 of the same chapter, he says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you of always of the things though you know um, and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent or in his body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must, be put, I must put off my tent or my body, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. The apostolic band is out there and they're, 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 they're just... Um, they're, they're, they're confident and they're moving through uh, the world, whether it's Jew or it's Gentile. Peter's taking uh, the proclamation of the gospel to the Jews and he's establishing churches. Um, Paul is a, a, an apostle that's born out of due time. God gives him a ministry to the Gentiles and they're just, um, just, just a Marriott band just going through the nations, reaching people with the, for the glory of God. But they also recognize that they're still mortal, they're still flesh and they're still blood. I mean, there's a church to carry on. There's a church to, to, to move forward that they won't be able to, to coddle the babies um, for all of time and eternity until Jesus returns. That there is something that they must uh, leave behind. There is something that they must hand down. There is something that they must remind them of. So Peter, um, is, 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 it's incumbent upon him um, to leave behind something that will guide and direct the church in all ages. Paul in 2 Timothy is writing his last letter and he says, Timothy, there's something that I want you to know in the midst of, of, of all the godlessness. I need to leave you behind something that you can grab a hold of, that you can sink your teeth into um, such that um, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt how you are to govern yourself within this culture. 
And Peter says that very thing in 2 Peter. And he even compares it to a, a, a tremendous experience that he has upon the Mount of Transfiguration. In that sandwich of texts that I just now read to you. And that's what he's referring to when he says we have a more sure word that's been confirmed. He um, remembers back in Mark chapter 9, which we will eventually get to in the coming months. Uh, the time where the Lord Jesus Christ took him up with two other disciples to a place where he would reveal um, the very glory of God in some substance that we will never even cannot even imagine um, until um, until we see him face to face on that great day. And that's what he says in verse number eighteen. He says, "And when we heard this voice which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain." And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines forth. Knowing this in verse 20, this, uh, this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It didn't come by the will of man, but it came by the will of God. Um, thus, be assured of that. And what he does is he compares his experience upon a mountain which was glorious. And he believed to be 100% um, by God, but he says it does not compare to what we have contained within the Scriptures. And that's what we read in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Paul's comfort to the people of God and Paul's comfort to Timothy was to continue on in the things that he had known and were taught. By who? By him. By his mother. By his grandmother. As they took the Old Testament Scriptures and they expounded to him, put, them, put those scriptures in his little mind that was able to make him wise unto salvation and was sufficient for everything, for, in, in, for everything according to the Spirit in life and in godliness. That if I could encourage you and encourage us as a church in what we are to do in this age, in the midst of a godless and a wicked and a perverse nation, I would encourage you um, as much as uh, the same way that Paul did and Peter did, these mountain of apostles and mountain of men, um, that you would simply govern your life and remember the Word of God, that it did not come from men, but that it came from God. And that's the argument. That's the argument. Verse number 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But the very nature is, so, so, so there's questions that we need to ask as we work through the text. Why should I be comforted, Paul? Um, how should I know what I am to do and how to govern? Um, what is Scripture? So we ask that question, what is it? Then we ask, what does it do? And then we ask, what, what should we do with it? Right? We ask, what is it? And we ask, what does it do? And then we ask, what should we do with it? I'm going to argue that all Scripture, that Scripture is the very Word of God, thus it carries with it authority and weight to govern our lives, not only as individuals, but also as churches. Not only that, it's sufficient for salvation, for the proclamation of the Gospel, to bring dead men to life, and thus preserve us to the very end um, by being sufficient for all things to make us mature men, complete in Christ. And then, um, I think the chapter break here is, is interesting. Um, but as a result of what Scripture is, I believe there's a charge there of what we are to do with it now that we have it as a church. We are to preach the Word. Because of what it is and what it does, that the great charge in this day and this hour is not only to remember it, thus govern our lives by it, but it is to deposit it, um, not only within the church, but throughout all of the nations. And that was actually the, one of the great intents of, of having it. That what we see, what is it? It is the very Word of God. That's what is meant by all Scripture. 
You may have a, a translation, or you may be studying different translations, and the NEB says, uh, the NEB um, says that all of inspired Scripture is breathed out by God. Um, but that's not what the text says. And there's no caveat there that what we have contained within this book is, is anything other than the Word of God. But what he argues is, is that all Scripture um, is God-breathed. That's the idea. That the term inspire here is, is, is a perfect term uh, to, to teach us about the doctrine of Scripture and what we have contained within the book before us. Um, but, but there's a difficulty to that because we often use the term inspire in a different way. And we use it to speak of um, inspiration in a, in a number of temporal ways, you know, and even good ways. We might say, man, I heard a sermon preached and this happens and it inspired me to write a song. Um, it inspired me in, 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 in my inner man to do something and move me towards something. Um, thus, we could read into this that that's exactly what happened with the apostles and that's not the temperament of the passage at all. Um, the idea of inspiration or the, the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures is this idea of God actually exhaling and breathing out of Himself, out of His substance, His character, and His nature um, into something else. It's very reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1 or John chapter 1 where it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Or Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be light. It's very interesting that if you were to go to Psalm chapter number 19, the first portion of it would be that great portion that we read and we glory in of the glory of, um, of creation where he says that the heavens declare the glory of God. About verse number 7, he turns to the law of God. And he says that the law of God is perfect and that it's sure and that it, it, it revives the soul. It saves the man. It perfects him. It's like honey that comes out of the honeycomb. And what you see is this parallel between the creation of God um, in, in, in the manifestation of His glory in creation, but also um, the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, but this Word also in which He preached, in which He taught, that carries with it the very um, grace and authority of God Himself. Paul writes to Timothy, and he tells him that the only thing that could keep you stable and sure uh, within the context in which you're living in as, a, as an individual, as an elder, as a pastor, um, is to cling to the very um, inspired Scripture, the Word of God that was given to you. So turn to the Word, Timothy. Turn to the Word. That's what he says. That's what Peter says. Peter says to the saints that are struggling abroad, um, govern yourself according to the Word. There's going to be a day in which it's going, there's going to be people that come and they're going to try to take you away from that. Don't let them. Be assured of the things which are before you. And know that the Word of God is not the product of the insights um, of the apostles themselves. But this is the case with many men. Um, thus they overturn the Word of God with human insight and the latest and the greatest and they stand in the pulpits and they lead and govern churches and they, and they uh, lead their homes and, and they do it according to their own standard and their own will. Um, and that's why the, the, you see the decline in, in culture. That's why you see the decline in, in churches. Uh, in the midst of your timidity, in the midst of your lack of confidence, um, in your weakness, cling to the Word. Cling to that which was spoken by God, inspired um, in men, breathed out by Him with His origin, um, and into men who God will use the apostles to record the very and the prophets of the Old Testament, the very word of God.
All Scripture, he says. Every portion of it. And we believe here at this church, we believe that God has inspired 66 books, as was mentioned at the beginning of the service. Um, you know, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, and it's all Scripture. Some people will come and they'll say, well, what Paul was talking about here was Old Testament Scripture. And you know what? Paul was talking about Old Testament Scripture. And what did Timothy have as he was growing up before the apostles came? They had the Old Testament. And what you find out is that, that the Old Testament is the Word of God. We have some sects of Christianity. We have some denominations that want to undermine and totally dissect the Word of God such that there's no continuity between the Old Testament and the New. What you're going to find out is that there is a wholeness and a unity um, to the Old Testament and the New in which they come together and they're interdependent upon one another. And that what flows out of the Old Testament is, is fulfilled and surpassed in the New Testament. That all of the Scripture's glory in the person, the work, the nature, and the character of God, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. That what you see here in chapter 3 and verse number 15 is an encouragement to Timothy to cling fast to the Word of God which was revealed to him. Why? Because you know, Timothy, in verse 15, that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You understand the power of the Word of God. You understand that it comes from God. And you understand that it originated with Him and not in man. You understand that in the Old Testament that the prophets um, were tested by a very rigorous um, testing process and, and they were weeded out. That men like Moses came and men like Isaiah came, men like Jeremiah came, and they preached the very Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 1 says that God put the words of God in His mouth and that He was to dictate them um, in the way that God ordained thus carrying with it the very authority of, of Scripture. And what we have contained within the Old Testament um, is the Gospel in and of itself. Hebrews chapter 4 says that the Gospel was, uh, was preached to Abraham and to those that were in the wilderness. Galatians chapter number 3 says that the Gospel was preached unto Abraham um, in the covenant that God made with him. That's what's contained within the Old Testament Scriptures is behold our God in Christ, not fully, uh, 100% revealed, uh, but will be one day in, in the New Testament. Jesus comes along, and you know what He does? He confirms all the Old Testament Scriptures. He takes us to places like in Luke chapter 24, um, in John chapter 5, He looks at the Pharisees and He says, uh, these things were written about Me. You don't understand. Um, you don't understand the traditions of men. Uh, you follow the traditions of men. These things, speaking of the Old Testament Scriptures, were written um, particularly... Um, about about me, we see that um, that Christ comes and He solidifies and He confirms everything that was in the Old Testament. We argued this, and this is redundant for some of you because we've been talking about this in Sunday school in a very um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a in a blessed way. Um, you know that many people want to argue that the Old Testament is not the Word of God, and then some people want to argue that it is. And they do it in a very mechanical way and they do it in a very evidentiary way to, to provide the evidence. And that's good. I believe the evidence corroborates the very Word of God. Um, but the greatest testimony to the validity of the Old Testament Scriptures is Jesus Christ Himself who comes in Luke chapter 24 to two disciples on the road to Emmaus and He, and he expounds the Scriptures concerning Himself out of the Law and the Prophets. And then with His disciples later in verse number 44 of chapter 24, He takes His other disciples and it says that He expounds the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures concerning Himself, uh, but particularly the Law of God, the Psalms and the Prophets. 
that everything that in the Old Testament um, is building up to um, the person, the nature, the character, and the work of Christ. As David said before he let out that first psalm, Isaiah chapter 40, um, is corollary to the New Testament, speaking of the one who would come. Thus contained within the Old Testament Scriptures um, is, the, is the power of God unto salvation insofar as they had been, uh, the gospel had been revealed to them. That, that Timothy, you understand that the thing that brought you to Christ, the thing that brought you to salvation, the thing that is the power of God unto salvation, um, and that God used in your life to change you, this is what I want you to cling to. The Old Testament Scriptures. Um, the very voice of God Himself who has the power um, to, give, to give life. Well, what about the New Testament? You say, are the New Testament the Scriptures? Because Timothy here is not talking about the New Testament. This is what many will argue. And then the question comes is, um, did the Apostle actually believe that what he was doing was preaching um, apostolic or, or um, um, the, the very Word of God? And I'm going to argue that he did. I'm going to argue that I believe that when Paul was actually writing most of his epistles, if not all, I understand that there's arguments there, um, that he actually... Uh, believe that it carried with it the very authority and weight of God, thus he was speaking God's word. Um, we see this in places like 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, where he says that when you receive the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as what it really was, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.31, you see something uh, very similar to that as well. As the Apostle Paul uh, urges them in 1 Corinthians to test the prophets by what they had heard of the, from them. Thus, to take the standard of God's Word out of the Old Testament um, and, and say that you are to judge God's word or the words of men by God's Word. Um, 1 Timothy 5.17 is a very interesting uh, passage. The Apostle is making application to the eldership. Um, and in that passage of Scripture, he quotes the Old Testament. And this is what you see all throughout the New Testament. You see the, old, the, the apostles quoting the Old Testament um, in vivid form. But in uh, chapter 5 and verse number 17 of 1 Timothy, just a few pages back, what you see is, Let the elders rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the Word and doctrine. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Say. So, What's that? That's a quotation um, out of the Old Testament. He takes the Old Covenant, he takes the Old Testament, the very Word of God, and he makes New Testament application to it um, in a new way that they hadn't grasped before. But then you have a phrase or a conjunction that says, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. If you have a red letter edition, that's in the red. Why? Because that's the very Word of Jesus recorded in Luke. Um, Luke chapter 4, I believe it is. Uh, that what you have is the apostle recognizing the authority and the weight um, that Luke's gospel carried with it. You have an application of both Old Testament and New Testament um, used within the contained scripture that the apostle actually uses and carries as the very authority and the weight of God. Um, you see Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 14 refer to Paul's epistles as being hard to understand, but he refers to them as the scriptures. That Peter receives the word of the Apostle Paul with the very authority and the weight of God. That what we have contained within the New Testament as well as the Old Testament um, is the very word of God. And that this word of God is carried on through apostolic teaching. Um, and that if we had time, and maybe we can talk about this afterwards if you'd like to. 
But what you find contained in the Old Testament is the foundation of the new. That everything, that, that much of what's in the Old Testament is foreshadowed and foretold um, that, that would come to pass. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, where it gave a prophecy of one that would come which is greater than Moses, in whom God would put His words. And then when you come to uh, the New Testament, what you find in John's Gospel is that this one um, who would come that is greater than Moses is actually Jesus Himself, in whom He says on multiple accounts that I speak the words of my Father, not the words of myself. Um, But I speak the words that God gives me, thus being the prophet of the Old Testament. And that this is actually the... um, this is what the, the apostles carry on in their teaching. That the, the apostolic teaching is actually the very words of Christ. It is the teaching of Christ. Um, that in John chapter 14, um, in verse number 26, that what you find is that the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will come and remind them of the things when the time is necessary for them to record. Um, that you find in John chapter 16, that not only that, that He would... Um, He would also teach them new things when the Holy Spirit of God came. That contained within the Scriptures in Matthew chapter 28 as well, we see that the things that the church are to carry on are the things that Christ taught them. That what we have contained within the Scriptures in apostolic teaching um, and the doctrine that the apostles gave themselves to in Acts chapter 2, 42. Remember those four things that the early church gave themselves over to? The first one is what? The apostles' doctrine. That what you see in the verses, in, in the passages that we've given, um, is that the Old Testament, the New Testament come together not as the, as the word of men. It doesn't come from insights and fresh new ideas and, and we think we're going to record something that's going to be helpful to the church and you can take it or leave it. What you see is the very word of God contained within the scriptures that, is, that carries the weight and authority of Christ because it's His teaching. Um, it's His teaching. That it's expanded in the New Testament um, what was given in the Old Testament and even fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5, that no, there's not one jot nor one tittle that won't, um, that'll fall away until all of this be fulfilled. That the apostles are not coming with inherently new doctrine. They're coming saying that, that the Old Testament is here to be fulfilled and, I will, and, and Jesus Christ will surpass it with more glory and more revelation. And this is what the apostles carried. The Holy Spirit carried them along to to, to encompass and codify for us um, a complete standard by which we rule our lives and govern um, the church of God. Uh, Thus it carries with it the very authority of God. You say, what was all that for? Um, We already kind of knew all that. You know, um, know, we're all on the same page. You're preaching to the choir here. I know. I know. And Timothy was the choir too. Timothy, you know all these things. I'm just reminding you of things that you already know. Why? Because maybe in the midst of looking out into the world, you're getting diverted. You know? I mean, you're getting distracted. You're, you're not seeing. You're seeing, but you're not seeing. You know, but you don't know. Thus, we need to be reminded that, 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 that when God gives Scripture, and what we have before us is the very Word of God. Um, and that if in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, is the very Word of God, then it carries with it the authority of God. Um, Isaiah thirty thirty in the NASB it says these words, and the Lord will cause His the voice His voice of authority to be heard, and the descending of His arm to be seen in fierce anger, in the flame of a consuming fire, in cloudbursts, the downpour of hailstones. 
In Isaiah 40 and verse number 5, remember that passage we read this morning. He says, Truly the mouth of the Lord will be spoken. And then in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, it says, To the law and to the testimony, um, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That God, when God speaks, men are to listen. That when God speaks, Jesus in the, the garden says that if I wanted to, I could call down legions, 10,000 angels. That the angels, when God speaks, bow at His authority and utter in full submission to whatever He says. And that all of man's words, even these words, are to be subject to the law of God. And if they are not in accordance with God's word, they are to be wholly rejected. Especially if they contradict what God's word says. The idea is that we come subject to the authority of God's word. And I say that this morning to say this, that as we govern the church, we are subject to the authority of God's Word. Whenever we studied the, um, or, or at least uh, somewhat studied the uh, nature of the New Testament church being the temple of God, what we understand is that the temple in the Old Testament was totally governed by the Scriptures. And that to bring a sacrifice that was outside of the Word of God or outside of the Scriptures or God's um, prescriptive method was extremely damaging to the to the. To the, to the worship of God. That when we come to the Scriptures, that when we come to general revelation, we look into the heavens and they declare the glory of God and we think, man, there's a God and we're to worship Him. But the special revelation is even more glorious because it doesn't just teach us that there's a God, but how to worship this God. That the Word of God, if it carries and bears, the, it is the very teaching of Christ carried by the Spirit of God by the apostles and the prophets. It lays the foundation upon which the building is built. It carries with it the very power of God. And I say that this morning, in some sense, for myself. Because you know that. And I know that. But how many times do I pick up the Scriptures and follow my Bible reading plan throughout the week and I check it off and I I have no clue what I just read or or I think about it and and I read through it and I think, man, that was a good word. But, but, but does it carry with it that this is the voice of God? You know, when we come to a call to worship and we read Isaiah 40, you know, whenever we come to Romans chapter number 3, when we pick up and we start trekking through Job, when we're reading um, through Mark, does it carry with it the very weight and the gravity that what we have before us is the very Word of God? You know? And that's going to affect the preaching. That's going to affect this morning as we gather together and we sit before 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and we think, man, that was a good homily. Man, that was some fresh insights. Man, he really knows how to, he knows how to, to, to drive it home. Or man, he just totally uh, messed that up, but it'll be okay. You know? Kind of idea, this flippant attitude that when we come together, that it doesn't really matter as long as the guy's heart's in it. When you come to the Scriptures and when you come to the Word of God and when you come to Christ and you come to the apostles and you come to the prophets, they don't have a flippant attitude with fresh insights that this is a good idea and what you should do. No, they say that the very God who spoke the world into existence and when the winds and the oceans um, obey in submission to Him and bow when He says stop and jump when He says go is the very word that's spoken to us this morning that when it says and thou shalt this and thou shalt not, then you sh- thou shalt and you shall not. 
And that when the Word is spoken, God speaks. That it carries with it the exact same weight as if the Apostle Paul was standing up here today in the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit um, speaking to Timothy or speaking to Paul. That when you, you, you lead and guide your children in family worship or you, you, you're engaged in a Bible study or, or you're just speaking with your wife or you're, you're teaching behind a lectern or in Sunday school or this or that, that's why James tells us that there shouldn't be that many teachers. It is awe-inspiring and a reverent and a sobering thing to think that last week and this week and two months ago and five years ago when I stood in a pulpit in an independent Baptist church you know, seven or eight years ago that I'm going to give an account to God one day because I said what He said. And you're going to give an account one day. Of reading through the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament and just passing over certain things. Why? Because that was a different context. That was a different culture. That was a different this or a different that, you know? As you lead and govern the church, I'm going to stand before and I'm going to, and we're going to give an account that it matters to God how you approach Him in worship. It matters to God so much that, that, that men died over this book not only here and were martyred for the simple fact that they preached the Gospel and the Word of God throughout the nations, but history has been salt and pepper, has been peppered with men like William Tyndale you know, who saw this as the very voice and Word of God such that he'll give his entire life on many occasions in caves and in small rooms with little to no contact. Why? Because the King of England would have his head and eventually did. You know what? That should teach us something about the, 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 the sobriety and the reverence of the Word of God such that He, he and men like Him would give their lives. Um, for the, for the very, why? Because this is the very voice of God. But it also should, should raise our eyebrows some to know that the King of England and, and all of England would gather together to hunt down this one little man. <laughs> you know Why? Because he carried within his bosom the, the, the Bible in such a form that, that it is the power of God unto salvation that they saw Him as such a threat. And not because He was mighty, not because He was eloquent, not because He was strong, but because He desired to give His life for the cause of Christ such that every man, woman, and child and that the plowman would know more about the Word of God because He had it in His language than the Pope of Rome. That, that, that they had a reverence such to the Word of God that it was their life's endeavor. And England and the king himself saw it as such a threat to the, to the papacy and to the church of England and to the very uh, community itself, such that they would spend their time and money and resources and soldiers to hunt down men uh, like Martin Luther. You know, whose one of his great life endeavors is forgotten, that he desired for the for the for the German people to have the word of God in their own language. Thus he translated the Bible from the original uh, manuscripts into uh, the word that, that men could have it. Why Timothy? Why a church? Why Christ's Bible? Why? Because you know that it is able to make you wise unto salvation. You know in John chapter eleven. We've got, to, we've got to kill this Christ, this man named Christ. Why? Because if, if we don't contain Him, then all the world will follow after Him. They will go after Him. The, the world knows that there is a power within the Word of God. The world knows that, that there is a power within truth. And you see it today. 
You see it today in an Equality Act that is going to somewhat try to stamper out um, the, 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 the proclamation of the truth of God's Word, and they're going to codify it, codify it in, in, uh, in, in, with legal ramifications, you know? And uh, you know what that means, don't you? That means in the coming days it may be very well that um, Canada comes home to America. And as a pastor sits for preaching the Word of God and gathering with the congregation, that, uh, that may be very well be our fate. You know? But that's okay. And that's good if this be the Word of God. It carries with it the very authority of God. And in that authority carries with it sufficiency. That's what he says in verse number 17, or verse 16 and 17. It's not only inspired of God, it not only bears the same authority, thus uh, the winds, and just as the winds and the, and the uh, storms obey, um, we should as well. But there is a sense in which we should do it um, uh, for our own good. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished and equipped for every um, good work. There is a sufficiency within the Word of God that not only um, brings dead men to life in salvation, is able to make thee wise unto salvation, but it is also that which um, causes us to become edified, built up in the body of Christ and as individuals, and also persevere to the end. Persevere to the end. Um, And that's what we see. Colossians, I believe it is, uh, 1 and verse number 26, that Paul gives him the reason for, for, for pastoring the church and his reason for ministry. What was it, Paul? To exhort and warn every man why that he may one day present them every man mature in Christ. How are you going to do that? Through exhortation, through warning, through the preaching of, of the Word of God. Why? Because there is a sufficiency within the Word of God that builds up the people of God and makes them more like His Son, thus securing their final salvation by carrying them all the way to the end. And I'm going to leave that there because I may preach on the sufficiency of Scripture next week. But we know what it is. It's the very awe-inspiring Word of God. Thus it carries authority with it. And we know what it does. And it brings men to salvation. It brings dead men to life. Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. The very word of God brings bones to life. Right? Um, And not only that, but it makes men more like himself. It conforms man to his very image. It carries with it the wind and the life of the very breath of God as he breathes um, the word of God into people's lives. Thus he says... Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Why preach the Word? Again, because it is able to make thee wise unto salvation. But the task that you've been given in the midst of a godless culture, Timothy, in the midst of immorality and lovers of self and this and that, um, and a degrading and a decline of, of culture and an economy, what am I to do? You are to preach the Word. Why? Because of what it is and what it does. This great gift that has been given to you is not um, an individual autonomous endeavor. 
It is to be lived out and breathed into the local church and even into the community. So preach the Word. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13. That grand passage that you all probably very familiar with and have memorized. Uh, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Um, you say, what do we do in this day and this hour? Where we preach Christ and Him crucified um, with the very authority of the Word of God that it is able to make men wise unto salvation and bring them into the kingdom of God and even on, into that eternal day. That faith, he says, comes by the hearing. And hearing by what? By the very Word of God. By what means? By faithful men who will cast themselves at the feet of Christ and preach the salvation of the Lord in Jesus Christ. Um, That it is the very Word of Christ um, is what the text teaches us. And it's not a word about Christ, but it is the very word of Christ. It is, again, that apostolic teaching where the apostles are, 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 are taking upon themselves the very teaching of Christ as He is um, a part of the triune God. They're teaching them and preaching to them and to the people and to the church uh, at Ephesus all that He had commanded them to do and to teach. That it comes from Christ and it carries, it originates in Him and carries with it the very authority of Christ. He says in John that my sheep hear my voice. And uh, where do they hear His voice? In the proclamation of the Word of God. Paul in the Ephesians, at Ephesus warns them not to think like the Gentiles think. Why? Because his argument was they have not so learned Christ, but you, you have. You have learned some things about Christ from Christ through the mediation of the apostles as the Spirit carried them along as the winds in the sail. Thus, there are some things that you are to not only do, but to declare. So preach the Word. You say, what are we to do in this church? What is is one of the great activities that is to be central and primary within the congregation of this church? You say, what are we going to do? And we're going to preach the Word. We're going to make the preaching of God's Word I mean, the ministry of the Word of God, the central, um, the, the, the central hub of all activity in the life of this church. Why? Because the Word of God bears such authority upon our lives um, that, that, that if He calls, we have to answer. And He guides and governs the activity of the church. Um, and that's an interesting task, preaching. Because you commit yourself to doing something that you cannot do. But welcome to the Christian life, right? You stand up and you do something that you know you can't do. You're like Ezekiel in the midst of a valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel 37 and verse 3, uh, the Lord says, He said again to me, prophesy to these bones. This is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, you know. So I answered the Lord God. Our God asked uh, Jeremiah, Son, son of man, can these bones live? What would you say? Everything that I know in and of me says that these bones can't live. You know? I mean, there's some, some flesh upon bones that I've seen in the hospital that, that I wonder if, 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 if they could live. 
let alone set before me a, a valley of dry bones that are beyond um, any saving upon any saving from man uh, according to his own strength. There's no way to make these bones alive. You know, the Lord looks at Ezekiel and He says, Son of man, son of man can these bones live? Like, what do you expect Him to say? He, say, he, looks, he, he takes, a, he takes a, a very uh, uh, politically correct but a faithful way. He says, God, You know. You know whether they can live or not. And again, then He says, He turns around and He looks at Ezekiel and He says to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord and live. You see, what's the task of the, the church? Not only as a, a, as a preacher and a pastor of a church, but what's your task? What's my task in the midst of a godless nation? It is to declare um, to the dry bones, hear the Word of the Lord and live. The very same thing happens when the Word of God is preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Timothy, you know that. You know that. You know that. Yeah, but I, I need to know how to argue from the Old Testament uh, uh, Scriptures with the, the manuscripts and this and that. We need to take all the evidence and I need the archaeology and I need the historical accuracy and I need um, all of these things to come in to prove whether the Word of God is the Word of God. I'm, I'm engaging with this atheist and this skeptic and I need to pull all of the, the... No, you just need to preach the Word. We need to declare the truth. There is a self-attesting nature to the Scriptures. We don't bow to the reason of men. We don't forfeit the sword of the Spirit to argue the validity of the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We come to dry bones and we say, this is what God says. And in that comes life. In that bears authority. We come to men and we, 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 while reason is good and it corroborates the evidence and it's edifying to the saints, um, essentially, to dry bones, we say live. And we trust the Lord that the same thing that He accomplished in our lives, just like in Timothy's life, is the same thing that God can accomplish um, in all men's lives if they'll come to Him. If they'll come to Him. Cotton Mather, uh, some would argue uh, puritanical in nature, a great American early Puritan says, the great design of the Christian preacher is to restore the throne and dominion of God in the souls of men. That's it. I'm not here to, to argue creation and I'm not here to argue the existence of God. I'm not here to argue you know, uh, whether this is valid or that's valid or whether this is this. I'm here to preach the Word. You're there to proclaim the Word to your children. You're there to gather in Bible studies and, and, and declare God's Word. You're to be at work, to be a visible representation of the character and nature of God as is present in His Word and in Christ. And that's why it's profitable. What am I to do? I'm to preach the Word. And with it comes the authority and the life and the ability to give life to men that the great endeavor of this congregation uh, must be the pursuit of God's Word and the preaching of it. Why? Because that's what it was given for. Right? That's why he says in chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Man, that's hard to do. Why should I convince and rebuke? Because that's the nature of the word. That's what he said it was given for for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. That it is profitable to bring men not only into Christ, but up to Christ, is what 1 Peter 2, chapter 2 says. 
as newborn babes long for the sincere miracle of the word so that you may grow up into salvation. That the gospel is given and the word is preached not only to bring dead men to life, but to keep live men alive and give them strength. Just like um, sustenance and sustenance to a small, small child. That there is a sense in which not only every sermon is, a, is, a, is an evangelistic sermon and should have the gospel contained in it, but also it's, it's a salvation sermon. Um, a salvation sermon in the sense that it carries us along until that day that we will finally be saved. You know, Hebrews chapter number 4 um, speaks of the Word of God being living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, in the context of that, right before that, um, what you read is... Um, well, let me go there because I think it'll carry, uh, pray it'll carry more, much more weight if I read it to you. Verse, just paraphrase it. But Hebrews chapter four and verse number one, you see, you see these words. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Well, why not? Because it wasn't mixed with faith, it says, in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What he does is he contrasts two types of people who had the law of God and the, different, and the, and the difference between the two were those that believed and those that didn't believe. That the preaching of the Word of God day in and day out and week in and week out is a means by which God keeps you. And that's why you are utterly in necessity of constantly, continually going back to the Word in your life and us coming back today and talking about things that, that we already knew. But the question this morning is not do you know it, but do you believe it? And if you believe it, and you believe that this is the remedy the remedy and the, and the only hope of all mankind to bring the gospel to bear upon the culture, then do we preach it? Do we preach it? If these are the great benefits of the, of, the church, of, the, of the Word of God being preached, it brings dead men to life and it keeps and strengthens dead men until that final day. Pierre Marshall, as a theologian, says preaching as a means of grace functions to gather the children of God to give occasion for regeneration by the Holy Spirit, but also to supply the Holy Spirit um, with all that is needful, or to supply by the Spirit all that is needful for the conscious life of faith and mind, soul and body, to heal, to nourish, to strengthen and console believers, and to sustain them in Christian perseverance until death and to constantly establish and deepen communion of souls with the Father and with the Son, and to edify the church and the communion of the saints, and to fill up the body of Christ and make life in his, make Christ alive in history. But this is what the Word of God is, and this is what the Word of God does, thus we must preach it. Because we recognize that any other endeavor is just is preaching to the morgue. It is preaching to dead men to, 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 with good insights and fresh ideas and crafty ways to fill uh, the morgue. But if we believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, it bears ultimate authority and it is ultimately sufficient for all of life and faith and practice. For every area of your life it contributes to, then it must be preached. 
It must be preached. And because this is the only hope for our nation. This is the only hope for our community. This is the only hope for our church. And this is the only hope for you. That the word of God would be mixed and mingled with faith. Why? Because God communicates his will to us through it. He tells us in First Peter 1, 23 that you've been born again not by the perishable or by, but by the imperishable which is the living and the abiding word of God and this is the word which was preached to you. That that imperishable word endures forever thus it must be preached. It must be. That if you were to survey the New Testament most of the time when the word of God is mentioned it's mentioned not in reference to its written form but its preached form. For example, what was just read. 1 Peter 1.23, he says that this was the gospel at the end of that chapter which was preached to you. That Paul charges Timothy with an urgency before God and before man to preach the word. When? In season and out of season. When it seems fruitful and when it doesn't, Timothy. But there are times when God is manifestly at work and people are coming to Christ and God is freeing men from sins and they're mortifying the flesh and the Holy Spirit is just overwhelmingly present among His people. And then Timothy, you need to know that maybe times are coming when it won't be. That Paul tells Timothy to be in a ready state of faithfulness and readiness that when the opportunity arises... Regardless of the circumstances, he takes the Word of God out, he takes the sword out, and he bears it upon the consciences of men. Why? Because that's the only way to, to come out of the season. There's a charge of, to, to Timothy to remain faithful to his Word. Why? Because maybe he knows that there will be seasons when the Word of God will not be well received. And there will be a tendency to want to change things around to make that happen. You know? And that's all of us. By nature, there's a tendency for us to look around and think about what God ought to do. And think, man, God's not doing that. And then for us to take it upon ourselves. To change things, to try to aid the plan of God and make things happen. There's a tendency in our minds to operate on the mindset that um, God operates on a one-for-one mentality. That if I give this, then God will give that. And if God isn't giving that, then um, I'm not being faithful. And I need to change certain things to make certain things happen. Thus, you end up devolving into a man-made and man-centered ministry. That we are not to fall into that. And that's the nature of the book. And that's the nature of 2 Peter. That there's going to be false teachers that come along and they're going to promise grand things. And it's going to be wonderful. But they're clouds without water. They have no substance. That if you want substance and you want the blessing of God and you want dead men to live and you want marriages to profit and you want your children to come to Christ and you want to know how to raise them up and you want sin to be conquered, then preach the Word. Preach the Word. Why? Because of of what it is and what it may do. And the glories of Christ being present in in His Word. That the triune God is put on display in such a way that is unparalleled by anything else. Then in Isaiah 40, verse number 7 we read earlier, the grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. And then he says in verse 9, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into a high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. If this is what God's Word is, and this is what God's Word does, 
then this is what you must do with God's word. When you receive it, Isaiah, you've got to get Zion, Jerusalem, church, you've got to get up on a mountain and you've got to proclaim it. Why? Because that's where Christ will be found. In Galatia, in chapter, Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 1, you read these words, Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. He encourages them to preach and teach the word of God, but he reminds them of what Christ accomplished in them. But then two questions arise, right? Before your eyes was Jesus Christ publicly portrayed or crucified? The answer is no. Galatia is nowhere near Jerusalem. And it wasn't at least 12 years after the crucifixion that the church at Galatia was born. So how was it that they had Christ publicly portrayed before them? He tells us. He says, this I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit of, of, uh, of God by works of the flesh or the hearing of faith in verse 2? Verse 5, therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or, the he- or by hearing of faith? That Jesus Christ was presented among them as, and His presence was known um, in the preaching of God's Word as they preached Christ to them. Thus the church was born. Timothy. Church of Galatia. You know, if, if, if you were born in the Spirit, why do you now give yourself over to the works of, of, of the law? Struggling in yourself by your own strength. It's clouds without water. Follow not other men. The Spirit of God comes by the hearing of faith. So preach the Word. Preach the Word and Christ will be present among you. Preach the Word and life will come. Preach the Word and dead men will live. Preach the Word and saints will be sanctified by the grace of God for the glory of God. That that's the idea. That the triune God is put on display by the God-ordained means of bringing sinners to life and keeping saints until that great and final day. And how will they, pre- how will they hear without a preacher? So, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. The economy's going awry. You know, our leadership is falling apart. Um, Equality Act's coming down. Restrictions are being placed on churches. Um, Who knows what the world will look like in five years and ten years and twenty years. Um, You know, they're going to start persecuting in various ways with fines or imprisonment. You know, like, well, what are you going to do, people ask. I'm going to preach the word. I don't know what else to do. Frankly, I'm not strong enough or have the temperament or this or that. I'm like a Timothy, lacking confidence in a lot of areas. And, and it's, a, it's a message to me today of, 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 of whole fast. You've got some great and precious promises. Um, you've got commands that need to be obeyed. You've got promises that need to be trusted. Just remember the things which thou hast learned. Son, it brought you, it saved you as a 15-year-old boy. God's kept you with it until now. His power is with you insofar as you give yourself over to the Word of God. What are we going to do as a church? We're going to follow in the apostolic example in the book of Acts. And we're going to find every opportunity that we can within the ministry of this church just to preach the Word. We're going to do it in the pulpit. We're going to do it in the lecterns. We're going to do it in Bible studies. If God wills, we'll do it in nursing homes, in prisons, and on the street. Um, Why? Because... The world is filled with dead men that need to live. And that's why they're, and that's why the culture is the way that it is. And week in and week out, we're going to come back to the same old fuddy-duddy book of antiquity. And we're going to try to preach the word. Why? Because some of your marriages are falling apart and you need Christ. Some of your children are, 
are disobedient and you don't know what to do with them and the Word teaches us what to do uh, because your family's falling apart and this and that and you don't know what to do at work and and uh, what are you going to do? Remember, continue in the things that thou hast learned. We're going to continue to die to self and to take up our cross and follow Jesus. That's it. That's it. So that doesn't sound fanatical. That doesn't sound, where's all the pomp and where's all the circumstance? The pomp and the circumstance is when dry bones live. <laughs> and God brings dead men to life. And I think that it's about time that we as a church and me as a pastor started believing that God could do that. Why? Because I remember what God has accomplished in my life. And I trust the word and mingle it with faith. I don't die in the wilderness, but God keeps us and carries us along. And I trust if that be our endeavor, I trust if that be our case, I trust if that be our pursuit, that, um, that God will honor it, if not in this life, in the next. And God will build his kingdom. I have no doubt about that. So men, when you, when you sit before your children with family worship and Bible study, I beg you to preach the word. Ladies, as you come to your children or, or other people within the congregation, I beg you to preach the word. Um, men, if you ever stand in this pulpit um, like I do, preach the word. I mean, and if we don't, um, come to us. Be good Bereans. Receive the word of God with joy. Um, but don't be afraid to... Take me aside every once in a while and say, I'm not sure today you preach the word. Let's talk about it. I'm open to that. I'm game. You know why? Because it scares me to death to not preach the word or to preach the opinions of men. Because I know what it's like to set over a dead man and want him to live. And do everything that you can and nothing happens. And I'm afraid that we could fall into a realm of coming week after week and thinking and sitting before a, a, a you know, a, a, or being out on the side of the street or at an abortion clinic or this or that, you know, and you just, uh, you just operate in your own strength. And you leave frustrated and upset. And Why? Because you just did it all yourself. We need Christ. We need the Spirit of God. We need the power of God. And you find that in the Word. Um, so if ever... I'm not too high and I'm not too haughty and, neither, and no man that stands in this pulpit ever will be. Um, to stand correction with a, even an Apollos, uh, you know, Priscilla and Aquila comes along and teaches them uh, more faithfully the word of God. Um, but this is our, our endeavor. Why? Because um, I'm convinced that dead men need to live. And I'm tired of, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Laboring in my own strength. I get to the end of week after week and I wonder if I'd do anything for the glory of God this week or myself sometimes. And I'm just tired. God's reminding me, labor hard, son, in the Word. Give yourself to ministry and give yourself to prayer and then preach that Word to the others. Stop trying to jump through hoops and stop trying to please every single body that comes down the pike. Stop thinking that your sufficiency and your, your affirmation comes in the growth of the church. Find it in me. Find Christ. Christ is in his word. So let's, let, let that be our pursuit. Let's pray. Father, we love and thank you and just praise you for your glory. God, we thank you for the blessing of the word. God, we thank you for the manifestation of your glory and the presence of Christ in it. God, we, uh, we throw ourselves upon you and at your feet recognizing, Father, that we can accomplish nothing in and of ourselves. Father, we need you. 
God, I need you. I need to come to the end of myself on a lot of things. Um, I need to stop striving so hard, Father, to, to please everybody but you. God, I need to stop worrying about various things in this life. Father, I need to, I need to preach your word. I need to preach it to myself first. And recognize that it's ultimately all sufficient, Father, for all that I need in Christ. Um, Father, it's food for my soul. Father, it's, um, it's, it's, it's water to quench my thirst. Father, it's sweeter than honey. And in it we rejoice, Father. It revives and it gives life. So, Father, would you help me as a father, as a pastor, as a, a husband, as a, a, a co-worker, a friend, a family member, Lord, um, just to abandon myself, Father, and love the Word. God, in it is Christ, and in it you find the Spirit. It is the sword by which changes lives. So, Father, let that govern us as a church. May that be our motto. May that be our banner. May that be our praise, Father. May that be our strength um, as we move forward. Father, may you comfort the souls of those who are stressed out and anxious about the nature and the character of the world. Father, will you help them to just think on these things, to remind themselves of the promises and the commands and the, the things that you've given us, Father. And that the word of God is sufficient for all these things. We just have to pursue Christ in it. It's his teaching. So, Father, through your Son in operation with your word, um, would you continue to grow this church in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord like little newborn babes, Father? Give us clarity and give us direction on where we're to take the word and how we're to minister the word, um, but help us never to forsake it or leave it behind. God, we need you for this because we know that in many endeavors um, we would. We would. May this not be the case. Father, we leave these things with you because we know you can only accomplish these things. God, um, give us faith today mingled with your word. You may be pleased and the kingdom may be established in Jesus' name. Amen.